Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a financial services practice? Four advisors in different states at different firms that have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch the right way through hard work, doing the right thing, and having fun while doing it. It's time for you to get the edge. Here are your hosts, Brad Warhurt, Jeff Copeland, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez. Welcome to another episode of the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. I'm Greg Gonzalez. I'm here with my co-hosts, Jim, Jeff, and Brad. Today is part two of our discussion on all the questions and objections that clients have in that first introduction meaning. I guess they're not clients yet. They're prospective clients. And they a lot of them in the, in the uh, first part of this podcast series, we went over the questions that we're starting to hear all the time. Are you a fiduciary? How do you get paid? What's your typical client look like? It was an awesome discussion. We're going to continue that today. I've still got uh, a, a nice, probably about half a page of questions in front of me. We're going to kind of toss around And the whole point of this discussion is to help a lot of the advisors that are listening to our podcast, help them be able to develop their skills of how do you, how do you interact? How do you communicate with these prospective clients? And and the point of, and we're going to get into a, you know, in a future episode, the point of that first introduction meeting is to get a second meeting with these people. It's to convince them that, hey, you're looking at the right advisor in front of you and, and you're trying to determine, are these people going to be a good fit to work with me and my firm? So um, I'm going to keep going down my list of questions that prospects have, have asked us over the years, and hopefully our listeners can learn a lot today. Um, one of the questions that people want to know is, if, if we decide to work with you, how often will we see you? How often will we communicate with you? Do we get, and I had a guy, just a, a new client this year, he said, "Do we? are we going to meet on a monthly basis moving forward? It's like, yeah, every Tuesday night, buddy, we're going to go out to dinner, you know? So, um, so how do you guys, how do you answer that question? Kind of setting the expectations for this relationship. Uh, how often can, do, am I going to hear from you and meet with you? Yeah, I'll, I'll just jump right in. We, um, so we've, tra- I've transitioned actually a little bit in my firm where I have uh, two junior advisors. So any, any new client that is not segmented with an A rating for us, um, will be handled by one of my one of my other team members. But generally speaking, when we answer this question, we let everybody know we have a service model where we meet. We 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 ask for everybody to meet with us at least once a year face to face. We do connect with them every quarter uh, just to touch base and make sure uh, make sure they're on track. We also let them know there are no emergencies in personal finance and financial planning. There are just no emergencies in what we do. Everything should be planned out. So we walk them through, but I do let them know now. And if you're if you're transitioning to a service model where you're not going to be the primary point of focus, I let them know we work as a team. And that when they when they work with my firm, they, they have a team behind them, not just one advisor, but three that stand ready to help them. But they're going to meet with us at least once a year. And for people who want to meet more often than that, we, we just let them know that we, we don't see a lot of value in that. And we we're, our model is our model. So I don't make exceptions on the service model. Now, I always do let people know that we have an open door policy. 
And what I mean by that is if you have if you have a burning question, if you need to meet with us because there's been a change in your life, you call the office and you'll get the next available time on the calendar. Uh, but you know, for folks who abuse it, I've had to I've had to pull people back before as well and let them know that we can't meet every week. I mean, I'm not going to meet you for dinner every Tuesday night to Greg's point. So I think just setting those clear expectations up front. And then, you know, a lot of times, remember, people have seen, they, they went out and read these lists and they think that they should be meeting with their client every quarter. And some of you, by the way, might have a quarterly service model. And I think that's fine. But for me, it doesn't work. So we we do quarterly service, but not face-to-face. Like it. Um, I, Jim, I, as far as playing to playing on your team and say, Hey, we have a team approach here. Um, and, and then emphasizing, Hey, if you call Monday through Friday between our business hours, you're going to speak with a live person and we'll get you that first available time slot. But, but also I, I try to tell people, Hey, uh, cause I, I have had some clients that say they'll call on a Thursday and say, Hey, uh, tomorrow at one, how does that look? <laughs> And it's like, uh, it's not happening. Uh, you know, we, we do, we are kind of like your doctor's office. We, we book a couple of weeks out. So, um, but we do have a, pr- a proactive way of, of reaching out and scheduling those. Um, but Jim, uh, I'm sorry, Jeff and Brad, what, what's your approach when someone asks you, Hey, how often am I going to hear from you? What's your process as far as meeting with me ongoing? You know, very similar for me to, to Jim, I will usually throw in something where, uh, you know, I'll definitely let them know if there's a life change, if there's, you know, a big purchase or something that they're considering where, you know, it requires that we meet more than once a year. Certainly we can do that whenever and there's no extra charge. Um, I do try and let them know that the number of times they'll hear from me throughout the year is different. I don't do discretionary business. So I'll use an example of times where we have a volatile market. And if we're going to rebalance more than once in a year, we need to talk before we do that. So, but that's going to vary from year to year. Sometimes there could be one, sometimes there could be three. It, it just depends. Um, one thing I think that people should note on this subject, though, is how you how you plan on evolving your service model as you grow. Because while Jim was talking, it reminded me, you know, or whoever Jim, I think they said monthly. Whoever said monthly meetings, right? To a to a newer person in the business, you're you might be inclined to accommodate that, you know, monthly or quarterly or whatever it is. But I think as your practice matures, you know, you won't have the time or will to do that. So I think you want to keep in mind however you however you design this model and however you answer this question, that it leaves you some wiggle room to evolve down the road when you can no longer meet monthly or quarterly or Tuesday nights or I mean, it's funny, but these are all things that probably I would have done 10 or 12 years ago to get the business, where now I would not want to do that, much like put my personal sale on my business card. But I didn't, <laughs> We've all done that stuff. I didn't have a podcast to tell me to not do that when I started. So <laughs> we're, we're, I, I love what you just said there. You've got to, when you're, when you're building your service model, you have to build it for scalability. And you need to begin with the end in mind. Where do you want your business to be in 10 years? Not where do you want it to be tomorrow? And we've all done exactly what Brad talked about, putting our business card, letting people meet with us at Thursday nights at nine o'clock at night or whatever that time would be. So I, I love what you just said. Yeah. And you know, the example I'm thinking of in my head, I'll call myself out, my my noob self out when I don't know how, how long I was in the business, two, three, I hope not more than three, but maybe it was four years. But I had this client that, you know, it was to draw up like a will or something like that. And um, he asked me, he got an attorney to meet with him on a Saturday morning. 
And it was like an hour away. And he asked me if I would go. And I said, yes. <laughs> By the way, just to consider the mental imagery, I meet this guy at his house and him and his wife were going in this, like, I think it was a geo tracker or some old compact SUV. And I had to sit in the damn back also. <laughs> no. You didn't even get shotgun. <laughs> no, no. Not there or on the way back. So, you know, I guess I say that just for a little levity, but also anyone that's out there doing those things, you know, there's no shame in it. It doesn't mean you're going to fail. We've all done it, including me. So, yeah, keep an eye in the future that, you know, 10, 15 years in, you aren't going to want to ride in the geo tracker to the lawyer's office on Saturday morning. <laughs> Brad, Brad, if I was that attorney and watched the three of you get out of that geo tracker and come in. It was a two door. It was a two door. You to climb over the seat. <laughs> I wore a suit just so you guys know. <laughs> Oh, oh boy! <laughs> All right, I'm done. Oh boy! <laughs> Portraying an image of success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so don't do that. Don't don't put your cell phone on your business card. Um, you know th- those kind of things because people don't. Some of them, some of them, not all, uh, do not respect you. They're texting you on a on a Tuesday night at, at nine o'clock and, and things like that. So. But it's all the stuff with Greg and they're texting you. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm busy. I got things to do. I know. (laughs) Um, Jeff, how about you? Yeah. You know, as you guys have been talking, I think I've had this flash of brilliance. Each of these questions should have a what your answer and a why. Like, okay, be prepared to back up your answer with a logical, reasonable, truthful explanation. And um, much of which the the other guys have covered, but words I would use or do use, um, I say, uh, be sure to be clear in understanding how we work. I build low maintenance investment plans, words I use often, low maintenance investment plans. And uh, there's actually good evidence that says if you're doing too much activity, it's going to hurt your rates of return over the long run. Um, and I, again, I walk through this with people. Therefore, it makes most sense to update your plan about once per year, uh, because then you will have had one new income tax return and it will be time to um, uh, update your investment plan for another year. Um, and second, it's uh, frequent enough that we're staying in regular contact in terms of the bigger picture plan, um, but it also gives time to let things play out a little bit in your life. Um, that said, I am in just as words Jim used in frequent contact, regular contact, roughly once per quarter. Again, words I use just to be sure that you know I still exist and to give you an opportunity to uh, reconnect with me if there's been a change in your life. Change in your life is words I use very often uh, as a trigger uh, for us to have a reason to be talking. Um, so, uh, again, very consistent with what the others have said. The only point I will make is I've made an adjustment about two or three years ago that I think has been a real positive change for me um, because it's important, I think, to appreciate the the mindset people are in early on in that relationship. And we want to do what we can to speed up the process of building that relationship early. Um, And so the one thing I 
uh, was finding is I'd get somebody up and running. We would have met with them. And then an entire year was going by before I saw that person again. And I changed that process. So um, I'd get somebody up and running and I explained to them, there's going to be some back and forth as we get the uh, you know statements and paperwork and whatever all in place. Uh, and then I want to let things breathe a little bit. And then I want to come back to everything six months from now. And I have found that that's a really good interval where they've received, if they're getting quarterly statements, one or two quarterly statements, most are monthly now. Um, but I would explain to them that will have given us just enough time for you to get a feel for how all this works. But then we're going to come back to the plan top to bottom to be sure that we're both on the same page early on. And that has sped up that process of getting people comfortable with working with us early on. And it builds that relationship uh, more quickly. And then from there, generally, we have set the stage to go back to once every 12 months outside of life changes. Um, and a lot of times these people are interacting with us because they're going through a series of life changes. So we have good reasons to be speaking with them more often. But that adding that first six month meeting, I found to be really effective in building that relationship early. I do. We, we do the same thing. Yep. We, we connect, we, we have a, we have a staff member call them at two months uh, just because they've gotten a statement by then to, uh, to confirm they've received their statement. They can read it because so many people don't, it's a change that so they don't know how to read their statements to ensure right. that they have online access. And then we schedule a six month review. So that's, that's a game changer, right? I think you said you did the same thing. I do the same thing. And I think, you know, I almost think what that does is during this, during this initial meeting, it gets them in the mindset of that they're already envisioning working with you, mm-hmm. right? When you're like, oh, it's your first year, we'll let the plan settle, see, you know, let you get a couple of statements, get used to reading them, see if any questions popped up. It already gets them in the mindset of like the presumptive close. Like they're already like, oh, well, we're going to finish this today. And then envisioning themselves here six months, checking up on those things and giving feedback. I, I think that it really does help. And I do the same thing. Absolutely. I, I know an advisor, and, and I learned that actually from another advisor, you know, getting them back in the office to make sure they've got online access. What questions do you have about that? You know, maybe we were rolling over accounts or transferring accounts. Did everything land where it should be? Are there any loose ends we need to, you know, still still tie in? So absolutely. And they're and they're getting these, you know, I'm getting this statement. Well, why am I getting a five dollar balance at Edward Jones or where it is. Well, that was a dividend that hit. That's going to be swept over. You know th- those kind of things. And and uh, no, I, I love it. I think that's a great tip for anybody listening out there, especially if it's a bigger, newer client. Hey, get them accustomed to your to your business model. And that first year, uh, Jeff, that was an excellent tip. You don't want a year to go by and just assume that they're doing okay. Um, have them back in. That's great. Fantastic. And I always bring up to people, hey, just because we're not meeting doesn't mean I, I, you know, if there's a change in your life that I don't want to hear from you. Email, I tell people email is a perfect way to get a hold of me. I answer emails every single day. You can't text me, but you can also call me, call the office. You know, you'll speak to my assistant or myself. Uh, so setting that expectation of, hey, this is how you get a hold of me. Um, I, I know our, our broker dealer and I know a lot of advisors are going to the text model. Um, to, to me, that that just doesn't fit with my personality and how I want to run the business. But um, um, but but you guys, do you guys use text communication with clients at all? Yeah. Do you? Uh, Brad does. Jeff, no. I'm a no. I'm, I'm no. 
Okay. What about you, Jim? I do not. I find that people that text don't respect time, time uh, business hours. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and, and they expect almost immediate response. So for us, it's a, it's a no for now, you know, we, we might have to adapt our service models that continues to become more ingrained in people. Yeah. You know, on that, um, with, uh, I use an app called my rep chat mm-hmm. to do it for art, you know, it archives everything, but you can also set, um, <clears throat> you can set normal business hours and you can also set auto responses for after business hours. Oh, that's awesome. Some yeah. of that. So, uh, I just like text because it, you know, there's no small talk. Yeah. Not that that doesn't have its place, but sometimes I just want to know where I have to mail your beneficiary form. I don't really need to know about the dog or anything else. I just need to know where to send the form. And it's a pretty good medium to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the, what, what is the, you know, the texting is more like personalized. Like I would text the, the three of you guys clients. It, it's you're from me. It's like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to text these yeah. people, you know, I, send, send me an email, but I don't want like the heart and the, the laughing face and all that kind of stuff. But so. by the way, guys, with, um, with my rep chat, what you can do, which I'm working on because putting my personal cell phone number on my business card originally. Now I have to go through a whole process to get people into not using that, but you can tie that to another line, right? So I tie, I'm tying mine to like line three or four at the office, which, so it's a landline that appears on the other person's phone so that they're, they're not texting, you know, when I don't want to get a text, I'm not getting it. Okay. And it's not letting my personal line out any, it's not furthering the damage that I've already done for a decade <laughs> of distributing said business cards. <laughs> I like it. F- fixing an old problem that, you know, but, but you can't go back at this point, Brad. So I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, let, let's keep going with these questions. And, and I know we're going to keep, I've got many questions to get through here. Um, but right, before we go, before we go on, I actually have a question I'd like to ask you guys on this subject. Sure. Once the year passes by or each year, what is your process? How do you guys get them in for a review? And I'll, and I'll tell you why I'm asking. So earlier on in my career, I, I called them personally to schedule. Right. And while this was going on as my as my business was getting bigger, my accountant, the way he schedules my, you know, my annual tax appointment was sometime in the beginning of the year, I get a letter and a postcard that says, here's your time. See you then. And if I'm on vacation or if I have work, it's just too bad. (laughs) Right. I will get there or figure out my own taxes. So I'm just curious as to what everyone else uses to bring people in for that year appointment. Yeah. I send I send them a postcard uh saying, hey, this is you gotta be here at Tuesday at noon. I'm just kidding, Brad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for justification for moving to that model. <laughs> we, ahead, we, send an, we send an email with a calendarly calendarly link. Uh that, and we send it in batches. We I try to I try to do a surge methodology where I'm, I try to meet with big groups of my clients in a, in a specific period, just so I can get in the flow of it. Uh, we send a Calendly link and then, uh, based upon the results of the Calendly link, then my assistants will, uh, call, uh, two times to try to schedule them after the, after we tried three times, we just put a note in the CRM and we move on. And we just assume that we've, we've done our due diligence on that. 
And, um, and, and, and we do have a lot of people who say, Hey, I, like, you know, I'm out of town or I'm on a cruise or I'm not available that week you're trying to schedule. And Brad, we just, we, unfortunately, unlike your accountant, we just bump them to, you know, we'll call you in a month kind of thing. So it, it flows, it flows throughout the year. But I, I personally try to get all of my reviews done first part of the year, because I think people are thinking about taxes. Uh, and it, it's also pretty boring where I'm at in the wintertime. So it, it gives me the ability to stay busy and then do, and take the summers off basically, which is pretty beneficial to me. Yeah. Yeah. And just on the theme of how we have this discussion with people early on, one of the phrases I use is I want to uh, ask, it's important that you participate in this process as well. Um, And so a little bit differently than uh, what Jim said, we invite them to uh, give them, uh, give us updated information that we don't have direct access to only when they choose to participate, do we offer to meet with them. Um, and so I explained that early on when they're asking about meetings that we will reach out once per year to get updated information that we don't have access to. Uh, when we get that, that's when we'll meet to actually update your plan. So that's our process. You do gotcha. that by email. Does your assistant call? Is it a snail mail letter? She sends that by email. Okay. <clears throat> Um, our, ours is somewhat similar. It's d- depending on, of course, you know, Brad, the teacher, you're probably really, really busy in the summer. So, so all the teachers, you know, for us either want to meet on Martin Luther King day or during the summer when they're off. Um, so I can imagine you're extremely busy. Uh, but certain people, um, we, we've kind of grouped and I've got a whole, um, you know, uh, process that, that, uh, my assistant kind of developed with me. Um, kind of based on my preference of when, you know, certain, certain months I want to be on vacation, that kind of thing. But, but yeah, it's, it's kind of proactively, my assistant still the old way is, um, just reaching out by phone twice and then does what Jim does. Um, and, um, and then pushes them off a couple months into the CRM notes that, Hey, we reached out twice, uh, by phone or email and they, they either declined or, or they booked the meeting. So um, the, the one thing, um, that's interesting in, when someone's saying is, uh, Hey, how often are we going to meet with you? I, there was a, an advisor that I learned this from. He said, well, we have a requirement that you meet at least once a year. And if you're not willing to at least meet with us once a year, we're not going to be a good fit for you. See what you're doing. You're turning it around on them and saying, hey, you've similar to what Jeff says is, hey, you've got to be committed to this. We, we need you to be involved in this, this working relationship. So, and it kind of, and then they're always going to say their prospective clients like, oh, well, we, yeah, we can, we can at least do once a year. Yeah. That, that's not going to be a problem, but you just turn it back on them. Um, like, hey, if, and then what I'll even ask in that prospective client meeting is, um, so you're, you're currently working with XYZ firm, the green firm. Um, how, how often do you meet with, with them? Uh, and then they'll say, oh, gosh, we haven't met with them in four or five years. And hmm, that's interesting. How, how so? Why, how, why, why is that? And then just let them kind of spew out, well, he never calls us. You know, the advisor got fired. You know, he... So anyway, that's the way I do it. You know, it's interesting to me that what do the surveys always say? That's the number one reason people change advisors, right? Lack of communication. But from what I think I'm hearing from all of us, though, we're all experienced some level of we need to build. We can't do like my accountant does. Right. right? All four of us have said we need some type of 
second or third attempt at getting them in for review a meeting review meetings is that's why it's on my mind like this is the number one issue why people change but at the same time it's pretty evident that they need their handheld to actually come and do their part of the process yeah. well isn't it to this whole theme of what are people really getting at the yeah. truth is they don't trust the person they're working with right now that's what they're, it really is about and i think that's our frustration is we build good relationships with these people. They trust us. They feel like them being unresponsive is being helpful to us. <laughs> and we're frustrated with it. <laughs> They're like, don't bother me. I'm happy, you know? And, and I like, think that's what they really want. I think that's what the original question really is, right? They don't, they don't want to come in three times a year. They want to know, be comfortable enough that they don't have to. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think going back to my my uh, flipping it back on them and saying our hey our our process here is you've got to commit to at least coming in once a year yeah. up front. They know that hey we're that's the agreement here um, that you are going to hear from us and and quite frankly Jim your process if anybody I always have like this. Uh, this fear that somebody's going to come back with to me and ever say, "Hey, we we, we haven't heard from you in years." And I'd be able to pull up my CRM and say, "Oh, well, listen, Nancy or um, Karen, uh, I've got here. We called you on March 12th. We emailed you on June 3rd, Karen, and we didn't hear anything back. Did you not change your email? You not listen to your voicemails? You know, so so maybe we we need to update your information in our contact management because you're not responding, Karen." So, uh, but I want at least like proof, like, Hey, my assistant, she, she's been working her tail off to, to follow up with you. It's, it's not on us. It's on you, Karen. So anyway, um, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of switch gears. And this question is, I always kind of sigh when I hear it. Um, but it may be just me personally. And the next two, you're going to be like, Oh gosh. Um, and it's normally the guy that's at asking these questions. Uh, it's not the the women and everybody I, I've made it clear. I, I prefer working with, with couples and women. A lot of single women are really, really easier to work with for, for my personality. But the question is, what is your investment philosophy? <laughs> what is your investment philosophy? How do you manage? What do you? What are your investment beliefs here? Um, who wants to start off with? How do you answer that? It's so open ended. Oh, and it's my... asked by people that don't know that don't know what they're asking anyway. So it's a it's a really difficult question to answer for sure. Yep. Brian, um, you were about to say something. I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, that's good. And actually, so I I mean that's my cue to go into a to my passive management spiel for sure, which I think I need to truncate for today. But um, the, the uh, what is the, something that you just said, Jim, like I say that to people all the time, not necessarily on what's your philosophy, but on the, will you show me a proposal or will you show me something like, are you going to do work for them before they become a client or divulge, right? And the answer is going to be no one way or another for me anyway. Um, but that's a good opportunity for me to point out to them, like, it, you're not, you, if you knew how to evaluate my answer of that question, you would not be here. Right. Are you going to give me a proposal or a hypothetical? No, I'm not. Because if you knew how to properly evaluate that, you wouldn't need to be here. You would just have done it yourself already and saved your afternoon. And I will point that out gently to them. And it it usually clicks. And I'll tell them flat out, you know, you 
you're setting yourself up to be sold and I'm not going to do that to you. I said, it's really easy for me to get on Morningstar, Yahoo Finance and put together what looks like a great portfolio for the last 10 years, but that wouldn't be truthful. And, but that's what they're, I point out that that's kind of what they want me to do. And I'm trying to show them that that's not good for them. That's setting themselves up to pick whoever, whoever puts the, uh, you know, the best looking past performance in front of them. And that's not what they're looking for. And, and honestly, if they don't get that response, that's probably not someone that I want to work with anyway. Yeah. You know, if they're hell bent on picking whoever puts the best Morningstar hypo in front of them, you don't want them as a client anyway. Yeah, you have to be careful about this question because they might be baiting you into a competition and, and seeing if you're willing to take that bait or not. And Unintentionally, that, they may be doing that even. Say that again? Unintentionally, they may be doing that. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And and so that's one of the things, again, I feel like I spend a lot of time building a relationship with people with this idea, as I said, of showing them behind the curtain a little bit. And um, the way I would answer that is I'll say, um, you know, boring answer, broad-based diversified investment plans with, uh, you know, covering all the categories. Uh, and, and then I will say, you know, isn't it amazing that there are still people in my industry that are trying to fool people into believing that they can do some form of market timing? And I said, I refuse to put my reputation at risk by doing that. I would be far, I am far more comfortable putting my reputation on the line on the things that we actually have control over, such as tax planning, proper coordination with your estate plan, proper income planning, all the other things that we actually spend time on that are of value. So again, an opportunity to kind of show them behind the inside the watch a little bit. Um, and if somebody's telling you this, they're full of, you know what, um, and, and then here's what you ought to really be more concerned about. And if you're not, then yeah, it's, it's going to be someone's, and I would say to them, someone will be unhappy eventually. And I'd rather we not even get started. Yeah, I, I do. I do something similar. I always let them know that we use science and statistics when making these investment decisions. And I've come to the conclusion that a, a globally diversified, passive, low cost uh, portfolio is going to give you the most, the highest likelihood of success. And that uh, th there's no one that's beating the market uh, consistently. And that's not what we chase. So I answer the question, but I, I think you're, you you both are spot on that you you just have to be careful with the person that's asking that. Often it's you're right. It's often a, a guy that's asking this question who has his E Trade portfolio and he has uh, his concentrated position. He bought Apple five years ago or whatever it was, and he thinks he's like the biggest genius on the planet because he got lucky with one stock pick. So so now he's like you know he's puffing his chest a little bit. So you just got to push people back. And um, I, I think it's okay. I mean, I, I think some people do ask it because they generally are curious or they, it, again, remember when, when people are meeting with an advisor, it's a, it's a situation where they're really nervous. And a lot of times they, they've made financial mistakes their whole life and they know they're going to come in and they know they're going to talk to somebody who's an expert at what they do. And we're going to see their flaws. So a lot of times we're getting somebody puffing up their chest, acting smarter than they are because they're a little embarrassed about where they're at. So you, I think you have to handle a grace uh, but you you've got to you've got to make sure that you're not going to be put in some form of competition with 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 Bob's 
a three tech stock portfolio that is going to smoke you when the market's going way up. But right now he's down 50%, but he'll never admit it to his wife. So you just got to be careful in that situation. <laughs> yeah. And, and, a, and a follow-up question that a lot of times comes in and it's always the guy, like we said, Jim, it's, you know, what are your returns over the past uh, three to five years? What do those look like? How, yeah. how do you answer that guys? I tell them it's it's relative to the risk. I I always I push it back. You're it doesn't. I don't know specifically because I don't know everything about you yet. But it's all consistent relative to your risk your risk tolerance. So your risk determines your reward in this business. The, our our aggressive portfolio theoretically has done this. Our conservative portfolio has done this. Choose where you want to be, but here's the up and the down on each one of those. So I, I push it back to him, but I do not get into performance questions. I, I refuse to get into performance conversations, especially in the first meeting. Yep. Yep. How about Jeff and Brad? We got a couple more minutes left. Yeah, I just I say, how would you like me to answer that question? Uh, and I kind of again kind of walk them through that. Well, what if I told you annualized it was 15% per year over the last 10 years? Um, wouldn't that make you nervous as to how much risk went into that? Um, you know, and so again, I explained to them candidly, it's based on the investment approach based on their timeline, which is what Jim was saying earlier is all based on the science and, uh, the, the level of risk that's appropriate based on the time frame that the person has. So it varies, but I will say expectations should be six to 8% over time and a conservative estimate for inflation over time so that we put you in a position for success. So try and walk them through a little bit of the why um, and and don't dodge the question because that's mm-hmm. shifty as well. Um, but and I don't I don't have any issue uh, pulling I can run reports and blind out the client information and say had some, this is what somebody invested the way I would have you invested experienced over the last, three, five, and 10 years. And, um, you know, we have to consider the factors that might have affected that for them, their own cash flow and uh, some of those things. But uh, at the same time, don't be afraid of that because don't set yourself up to disappoint the person either. Don't try and overpromise. A lot of times when people are asking these questions and, and, and sometimes, like I said, I'll even roll my eyes when I get that kind of question because I know... Again, we're sizing them up as much as they're sizing us up. And by the questions that the person is asking us kind of determines if they're going to be a good fit or not. I hate to say it, but uh, if if it's a guy asking us the performance questions, investment philosophy, and he's got his, you know, do it yourself, you know, like like Jim said, his tech stack uh, of all the different tech ETFs in front of him that that he's dying to show us, you kind of know, hey, that probably this is going to be a bad fit because all this guy wants to talk about is performance here. Or um, the the one guy the other day saying, well, he picks the the morning, Brad, you'll love this, picks the morning star, only the five-star fund. So meaning- As long as you can count the count the stars, you're going to be way ahead of everybody else. Why did Peter Lynch waste so much time? He could have just looked at the morning star chart and picked the ones with the high stars. I don't <laughs> understand why he was so stressed out during his career. <laughs> So anyway, that's another thing to consider. I know for the younger advisors in this business, sometimes you're so eager that, you know, saying the right thing and and, and sometimes you're not prepared for these questions, but you want everybody to like you and and obviously become a client. So, but, but you've got to kind of understand that a lot of these people are, are not... 
yeah, many are, what is, it's in the Bible or Nick Murray used to say, many are, many are called, but few are chosen. Um, you're gonna meet with those people. Maybe it's the do-it-yourselfer that is just gonna come in with these list of questions and it, you'll never be able to meet their expectations and you're not what they're looking for. So um, yeah, you sometimes- gotta- you got to you got to handle this correctly because just in the last two last two discussions about this. If you don't, if you set the wrong expectations, you're going to end up with the do it yourself or client that you've promised eighteen percent a year to and are going to meet every Tuesday for dinner. <laughs> so you really have to get these questions correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, truthfully, you can say, "Hey, okay, how much are you paid?" Well, that's going to determine on your assets. And and I'm just thinking of that younger guy, Brad. He's going to promise the moon and the stars to this to this high net worth person and then say, oh, well, we can beat that. We can compete on price. We'll, we'll charge, you know, 40 basis points. So not only are we cheaper, but uh, I was at, I was at an, uh, my, my back office did a, um, uh, it was a, a breakaway conference and the guy that was presenting, he was like a top advisor. He competed on performance. That was his thing. And so he said, all he would do is that client would come in and he go, okay, I'll look at your portfolio and then I'll show you my portfolio. And he would run a hypothetical of like the separately managed account, like the best one there and then show it to, that was his whole cherry like, just, but he said, you know, a lot of the people ended up hiring him just because it's like, oh, well, this guy just showed us a back t- tested portfolio that he's not using with other people. It's just, it was just horrendous. Yeah, don't run your business like that. That's a horrible way, and it's, it's deceiving the clients. But so many people do it. We all see it. We all, we we sit down with people that come in with their statements every day like that. And it's uh, it's disappointing in the industry for sure. It it, it gives us a. Uh, it gives us a bad name and it's horrible. Oh, I can't believe he, I can't believe he presented that to other people. That's craziness. Oh boy. Oh boy. So, so yeah, just like Brad said, uh, you know, practice these questions, you know, how you're going to answer them. I think that's some of the best advice we can give other people because these questions really don't change. There's still a number of them we can get to down the road. Uh, but you've got to, it's, it's just like an actor or actress. You got to memorize your lines, how you're going to, how you're going to answer these. Cause it's, it's crucial. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really going to impact, your future business, your future success. Uh, before we go, uh, Jim, remind everybody about our website and in uh, the mastermind group we're building. Yeah, the, um, look, we've got uh, we do have a, a website you can, you can visit. It's thefinancialadvisorsedge.com, or we've got a shortened version so Greg can pronounce it on future podcasts. It's thefaedge.com. I'm only teasing, Greg. Look, That's we okay. are we're putting together a mastermind group. We've gotten a lot of requests on how how do we connect with you guys, and a lot of questions that have come through. And we kind of thought it'd be a great way to get together with some like minded advisor. Remember, iron sharpens iron. So we're putting together something called this century club. It's a hundred advisors who want to grow to a hundred million dollars. And look, we, we each have goals and maybe it's not quite a hundred million. Maybe you only want to get to 75, but you want to be around like-minded individuals that want to help and help you get there. So look, if you have interest in learning more about it, uh, we have, we're just putting the final touches on it. We're, we're a few months away from launching it, but if you want to be first in the know, and I, I think you should be, look, this, this podcast is all about growing your ideal practice. Go out to the financial advisors, uh, edge.com website, put your information in, sign up for it. And, uh, and we'll let you know when we launch. Cause I think it's going to be, it's going to be pretty awesome. You're going to have access to us, access to our materials, uh, live, live interviews with us. It's going to be pretty awesome when we put it together. So 
Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it, Greg. All right. We'll see everybody for the next episode of the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. Good luck. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week.